Welcome to episode 104 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, Matt Odie. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by Matt Odie. Matt, thanks for being here, man. I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it as well. Excited to um, you know just be a part of your community and uh, share a lot of the lessons I've learned along the way as well. So thank you. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about, man. And you've got a a journey and experience that is quite beyond what most people have been through. And obviously, we hope that you know less people go through what you've been through, and we'll get through it. But there's a lot of lessons that we can take from that, or that you have learned, I'm sure, from that that are worth passing on to everyone else, right? It's the old saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, you know, very, very true in, in, in your scenario. Um, but then there's so much we can learn from that. So I appreciate you very much like reaching out to me and, and, and helping me find you to uh, to give this to, to everyone. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm just super excited. And I think, you know, we have a lot in common as, you know, health is a very big and vital part of our lives. And I think for everybody, I think as they listen today, why it's so important to always be conscious of what you're putting in your body, how you take care of yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, and, um, you know, how it can really help you in so many other areas than just looking good and feeling confident, but so many other areas of your life, your relationship, your career, or if you, you know, your business or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, man, just super excited. Yeah. The aesthetic piece is, is good and it's definitely valuable, but it's not everything. And usually it's like, when you really get down to it, it's pretty low on the list of things, unless you're competing in professional bodybuilding, which that's the sport and that's a different thing. But aside from that, it doesn't really matter all that much, but just to give people the background, tell us a little bit about like about your story and we're going to get into the details of it, but just give people the, the quick, the quick background. 100% man. Yeah, I'll give you the quick two, three minute version. So I am a stage 3C testicular cancer survivor. I was diagnosed six years ago. Um, I was the healthiest I'd ever been. I mean, I was working out six, seven days a week, uh, eating the right foods, everything. And one night, um, you know, I had some minor symptoms we can talk about, you know, later on, but I woke up puking up blood one night, got rushed to the emergency room, found out that I was losing close to two thirds of the blood circulating in my body. Um, which is equivalent to being shot with a gun. They immediately gave me six bags of blood, put me into an emergency surgery. And the next morning I woke up and they thought it was an ulcer that was causing the bleeding. I wake up to the doctor in my recovery room. He comes over to me, sits down, he grabs my hand. He says, Matt, we found an 11 centimeter tumor in your small intestine. Uh, we know it is cancerous and we just don't know what type quite yet. So I get rushed from a local hospital to um, the Cleveland Clinic, which um, is one of the top hospitals in the U.S., but thank goodness, uh, did a bunch of tests on me, found out I had the highest stage of testicular cancer. Immediately, I was put on five rounds of chemotherapy, very intense chemotherapy because I was so young at the time, being 24 years old. And, um, you know, I lost my hair, everything um, in between from nausea to fatigue, you name it. And really, my life completely took a 180 at that point. You know, you know, you go from this healthy individual thinking you have such a huge life ahead of you to now fighting for your life and wondering what's even next. And, um, you know, to make this just a, a quick overview, I had many complications along the way. After chemotherapy, I ended up having a 12 hour surgery to remove the cancer and the tumor in my body. And my body went to what's called compartment syndrome. Basically, my kidneys and my liver is completely shut down. Um, I end up going into a two-week non-induced coma. I end up being in the ICU for over 40 days. I was in the um, Cleveland Clinic for over 53 days. I went from 185-pound healthy personal trainer to 110 pounds of skin and bones, having to learn to walk and rebuild my entire life again in a matter of eight months. And it was just as hard physically as it was emotionally and mentally for me. And um, 
this is where, you know, having a health background and, and really using my health came into a massive play in my life. It was vital in my healing process. You know, I had to completely heal myself physically, mentally, and emotionally from learning to walk again, um, to gaining my strength back to, you know, learning how to eat properly and, and, and gain the, or put those calories in my body so that I can, you know, replenish and, and rebuild my life. And, um, you know, it took me about two years to really regain myself. Um, you know, I was cancer free at the time, but it was a massive, massive, um, you know, recovery process along the way. And after that, I kind of realized that after you go through something so traumatic in your life and anybody who's gone through something really difficult in your life, you realize that there's a bigger purpose behind it. You know, you really you've been given a second chance or something bigger in your life. And a lot of times it's hard because you're like, well, where do I even go? The lack of clarity is really challenging, but you have something deep down inside of you that, you know, there's something bigger. And for me, um, I had to really work on number one, my faith. And number one, who I was surrounding myself with. And and I really think it's a vital part of if you want to do something big with your life, you need to find people that have either done something that you're trying that you're inspired and trying to do and follow um, how they were able to get to that point. Or you need to find people who are on a similar path as you who is going to uplift you along that process, because it's a very lonely journey when you figure out that you have something bigger, you have something greater in your life that you want to impact and help other people with. And by me surrounding myself with those people allowed me to do speaking, allowed me to do coaching and take my health and fitness background and help other survivors who've gone through traumatic experiences in their life rebuild themselves through their nutrition, through their workouts, and most importantly, through any limiting beliefs they may have of whether they don't feel like they're worthy enough or worried what other people think of them. There's so many different things in life that um, can distract you or take you away from your dreams or your big goals. And I want to help them and say, hey, listen, I was in your shoes not too long ago, and I'm here to help you. And that's why I wanted to you know, hop on this podcast and give anybody hope who's on their own health and fitness journey as well. Yeah, well, Thank you very much for sure, for sharing all of that and, and continuing to share your story and help others because again, it's a it's an incredible thing that you've been through that not many people would have experience to pull from. Yet there are lots of people unfortunately going through what you went through and similar things where, you know, it's hard to look at someone else and say, like, oh, that guy has been through it or that girl's been through it, so they can come out good on the other side. This is I'm not doomed to not being able to walk or not being able to do stuff again. So it's it's incredibly important that you that you share these things. Now, obviously there's a lot of stuff that happened in that story and that was a very quick short story of a very long story. So let's let's yeah. try and go through it from the beginning. I think that would probably make the most sense here. But and you mentioned that there were some symptoms that you noticed maybe in hindsight, but at the time didn't really notice or didn't pay attention to what were you feeling because you were healthy which i'm sure helped you a lot in the recovery but you were otherwise healthy although there were some things that were maybe off that you notice in hindsight yeah absolutely so with testicular cancer the number one symptom which i didn't actually have was either swelling or some type of abnormality in your testicle and for me that I never actually had. What was my symptom was I ended up having back pain. And for me, lifting six days a week, I was like, okay, it's probably because I was doing too much deadlifting or, you know, whatever it might be, too many squats, you know, and it, but the problem was, was it was getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And at the time, uh, my wife now, but it, she's a vital part of my story, um, which we can dive more into. Uh, but We'd only been dating for about two months. We were doing all these summer activities. And all of a sudden, I was like, Lauren, I can't, Lauren's my wife, um, Lauren, I can't even go on a basic walk with you anymore. My back is hurting way too much. She's like, Matt, you need to go to a doctor, get yourself checked out. And at 24 years old, 
the last thing you're thinking of is like, you know, you have some, you know, cancer or anything like that. So I'm like, I'm invincible. I'm absolutely fine. I was being stubborn about it. So it was massive. It was major back pain. And the thing that obviously brought me to the hospital was me puking up blood that one. I had absolutely no choice. And I still was being ignorant. I was like, I probably have food poisoning. Let me wait one more day. And they're like, get your ass up. We're going to the hospital. We're taking you to the ER. You can barely even move. So that was literally what got me there. So I would just say this. This is the only thing I would say is, um, you know, if you have something that is over two weeks, that is literally like something that is completely abnormal in your body that, you know, you are very conscious of, just go get it checked out. I'm not saying it's cancer at all, but I am saying go get yourself checked out because it is very important. And I always say this too, get a physical once a year. I really believe that and blood work. I think physical and blood work once a year. When I say blood work, it just means a a basic um, biometric screening, which could entail your cholesterol levels, your blood sugar, glucose levels. Um, It'll entail like um, just basic uh, things that make sure that your body's functioning properly. So if you get the blood work and you get your physical once a year, I think that's great, especially for, you know, us young men and women in our 20s. So that would be kind of my explanation throughout all that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's a great recommendation because, you know, people play Dr. Google and you have any little symptom and you start Googling, oh, I have back pain. It's like, it doesn't mean that you have cancer. There's millions of reasons for back pain or any other symptom that one might have. But I think the key to what you said there is that if it's inexplicable and, you know, if you were actually deadlifted and you hurt yourself deadlifting and your back hurts, then like, you know, that it's because of the deadlift, it's not something else. But if it's like, totally random. You can't figure out why and it's not going away, not improving. And that's when you can start to think like, okay, maybe there's something else here that's just worth checking out. And it's better to be safe than sorry, especially you know, here in Canada, our medical system is publicly funded, which has its pros and cons, but it means that you don't got to worry about taking your wallet out when you go to the doctor to just check up if there's something that's really you know off with you. So I think that that's a, that that's a great message. And especially for us young people, I'm certainly with you on the point of feeling invincible as a young male who's also a trainer and in, or if you're not a trainer but you're just working out and you think that you're being healthy and stuff the last thing that you think you think you're doing all the, the right things and you may be doing all the right things but there is still some element of chance of genetics of all these other external factors that we can't control that may lead to something more sinister unfortunately so still do all the right things but understand that you know there might be there's always that chance right a hundred percent. And like you were just saying, you could be the healthiest version of, you know, or the, the of an extremely healthy person. I mean, the last person that probably my friends and family thought was going to get sick was me. And once again, I don't say this because of cancer. I just say this as, you know, that's why it's so important to take care of your health too, because I truly believe if I didn't take care of my body, the recovery process and everything I went through would have been so much more challenging as well. So absolutely, I think you always need to be um, conscious of your body, but also just make sure you're taking care of yourself too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, chemotherapy is obviously not a light treatment and neither mm-hmm. are the several surgeries that you had. And and obviously it had a huge impact on you as well as being someone who was say as prepared as one can be physically for something like that, right? Someone who was weak, sick, out of shape, otherwise going into that, that might have ended up way worse for them than it ended up for you. So talk about how taking care of yourself and how being so strong actually helped you through that, the, the, the treatments of it. Yeah. So number one thing chemotherapy does is it destroys your your good cells and your bad cells. So you are literally just depleted. It's almost like you have the flu, but like, you know, 
times that by like 20. It's just so it, it destroys your entire body. Your body is immune compromised. So meaning like, you know, you just have to be really careful of like what you're doing and things like that, because you're just such at a weak point in your life. Um, and that is why I think when I first of all, I think the greatest investment you can ever make is in yourself. And that is the knowledge you bring to yourself. And also, like I was telling you before, taking care of your body with the right foods and, and working out. So for me, I couldn't work out anymore, really, because of chemotherapy, because I was so depleted and so energy lost. But I had the knowledge and I was still able to eat the right foods to help bring as much energy as I could to the process. So by already having a strong um, body with muscle in it, the first thing that's going to go is my muscle. And, um, you know, I started losing the weight pretty quickly, but I was able to still have some energy and still have some knowledge of how to take care of myself along the way. So for me, that was a huge part in um, being healthy and, and taking care of myself along that process. I think, you know, for anybody out there, just having the knowledge and knowing what to do, you can never have that taken away from you. You know, the knowledge is something that will live with you forever. So always try to be knowledgeable in how to take care of yourself, because at the end of the day, without your health, almost nothing else matters, you know, whether it's your relationship, your career, or your, you know, taking care of your kids or your grandkids, if you don't have your health, how are you going to be able to be present and fully with them? And that's why I think for me, it's always been a, a huge part of my life is taking that as my number one, and then using that as my basis around everything else. I totally agree. And it's it sometimes can seem like a, a negative thing to think about, well, be healthy just in case, you know, a rainy day comes along, something happens, you, you get in a, in a physical accident or you get sick or something like that. But when, if, and when that stuff happens, you want to be as prepared as possible. And you will think, well, I wish I was doing this stuff sooner. I'm sure you've got plenty of clients, Matt, who are maybe older clients who started working out in their forties, fifties, or sixties. And I, I, I would be 100% certain of taking this guess that all of them say things to you like, wow, I wish I started this sooner. I wish I did this when I was 20 because I wouldn't have this knee pain or this back pain or this you know inability to play with my kids or my grandkids or whatever. And so you know, understand that and, and start doing it now. Whatever age you're at now, it's never too late and sooner is better than later. Yeah. You know, one of the coolest lessons I ever learned was, um, you know, spend time with the elderly, spend time and learn from them. And the number one thing you'll actually find, unfortunately, is um, a lot of the regret that they had in their lives. And mm. a lot of the things that they, 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 they won't, they'll talk about some of the awesome things, but a lot of the things they, they'll also talk about is things they wish they had done. Like you were just telling me, um, when I do have an older client in their 60s or 70s, a lot of them will say, you know, if I can go back to my 20s or 30s, the number one thing I would have done was I would have learned to be more selfish for myself so that I could be selfless for others. And I think that's a, a big thing. In order to be selfless for others, you must you must learn to take care of yourself first. And um, a lot of the times they're like, you know, all I did was put um, other people in front of myself. And next thing I knew, I wasn't even taking care of my, not just my body, but my entire life. And, um, I think that's a huge lesson is surround yourself with some elderly people that you maybe either look up to, or it's just, you find fascinating, um, by, and just learn from their stories, learn from the things that they wish they had done, learn from the things that they did, that they were able to do because the, they have years and years of wisdom that will be able to give to you that, you know, you can't find unless you're around those types of people. So um, that's a cool lesson I've learned. And I really think that you nailed it on the, you know, really nailed it um, on the head there with, you know, talking to the elderly people or not even just elderly, but people that are older than you and maybe have some more wisdom. Yeah. And this, I think this goes beyond 
business. I think it's important to have business mentors and, and coaches and, and business and whatever else that is that someone does. But we all go through life and you know, you're going to get married or have partners or have friends and buy a house or live in a home or move cities or all these things that elderly people have been through just because they've been alive for X amount of years. So I think as much as it's important to have like, you know, some technical mentors and people in your business, it's very important to have those life mentors as well, just to do regular stuff. Like, <laughs> because they're the, going to be the ones who can tell you like, oh, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have taken this risk or done that or sacrificed money for, for spending time with people or whatever, whatever it was that for the, for them. And that's going to be relevant to you. Maybe the technology is different now, but like the life lessons are all, are all still there. Yeah, man. And um, I would say the greatest currency or the, the number one currency in the world is is time, you know, and that's one thing I also learned when going through my cancer journey is how precious time is because it can go in a blink of an eye. And it's like, we get so caught up in things that don't necessarily serve us in life. And we think they will, that we actually miss out on things that are going to bring us more happiness, bring us more joy and bring us more fulfillment in our lives. So, um, Always remember, it's not money that's our currency. It's actually the time is our currency. I'm not saying don't make a lot of money or do things like that. But if you only predicate your life around making lots of money, you're going to miss out on a lot of things that can actually bring you the joy and the happiness that you think money will bring you. Because the reason you want money is because you want the emotional attachment to money. And um, there's nothing wrong with that because money can help in a lot of areas. But if that's all you're focusing on, you're going to miss a lot of the actual joys and happiness that you would be able to receive without it, such as spending more time with your kids or grandkids or people you love. I think the easiest thought experiment to make people understand that is, or to help people understand that is, you know, the question, the simple question of this or hypothetical situation of, I will give you a billion dollars tomorrow, but you turn 90 or you have no money, but you go back to be 10 years old. Which one would you pick? And like most people, would would choose to be 10 years old again. There'll be some people that, you know, want the billion dollars to be 90 and you know everyone does their thing, but understand what what it is that you that you value, but most people are going to go back to being 10 years old. Like you can make money, but you'll never get those experiences again. You don't want to want to skip the whole rest of your life whether you're 20, 30, 40 years old right now. You wouldn't want to skip the rest of your life and go to be 90 just because you have a bunch of money. Like it's not going to drastically change your life that much if you have now no friends, no experiences, no memories, no anything. What what does the money do? Like my my grandfather always says, you don't you don't want to be the richest man in the graveyard. It doesn't doesn't help you. There's, there's there's nothing there's nothing happening there. Like it's yes, it's important to make a lot of money and have a lot of impact and be able to help people and all those things. But that being the sole reason for your existence is probably just not a good way to to way to go go about it. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not telling anybody to don't go make a lot of money because me and you both, we would love to, of course. I mean, it does free up time. It does allow you to have more freedom in your life. Of course, exactly what you said there, though. You go, I've done a lot of research on very wealthy people and, and they say the exact same thing. They're like, if you could literally give me 40 more years of my life, I would literally... I would literally get rid of all the money that I have. And they'll always say, though, though, if I can have the knowledge still... Then I'd be able to make all that money in, you know, two to three weeks. That's why I always say the greatest investment is in yourself. Take care of your health because you take care of your body and you eat the right foods. You're going to have a clear mindset too. You get the right sleep. Your mind's going to be more clear. You're going to be more confident within yourself. You're going to want to be more inspired to then use, um, you know, whatever, you know, goals or dreams you have to go out and impact more people with it. So that is why there's so much, there's such a bigger purpose that we're talking about of taking care of your body and taking care of your, you know, yourself throughout this, this process. Very practically think speaking, I think it also solves 
a problem. And the problem is our, our physical body is the vehicle that we experience the world through. And so if I have back pain or just I'm just sore or I feel sluggish because I'm overweight and don't sleep right and don't eat right, well, then that impacts me in a lot of ways. And so that is a that is a problem that needs to be taken care of. So now I have less energy, less time, less whatever to go out and work and spend time with my family and do all of the things. In the same scenario where, you know, having lots of money, if you just won the lottery tomorrow, it solves all your money problems because you don't got to worry about rent, you don't got to worry about healthcare spending, you don't got to worry about food, like that would solve a problem. Taking care of your health to the best of your ability also solves that problem. And people might say, oh, well, it takes time to go to the gym, to grocery shop, to cook and all this stuff. You're going to spend that time anyways, and you're going to spend that time being sick or you're going to spend that time being healthy. So I think it's a very obvious choice to choose the one that gives you the positive outcome versus choosing the one that gives you the negative outcome. Yeah. Anything worthwhile takes effort. You know, you're never going to get a six pack and having a crazy healthy lifestyle <laughs> just, uh, you know, within a couple of months. It doesn't work like that. And anything, anything worthwhile is going to take your time and take your effort. And you look at anybody who's actually built something with their lives. You may only see the success, but you won't see the 10 to 15 to 20 years that they put and grinded so hard when nobody believed in them, when it was just themselves, it was just their faith or whatever they might believe in and had to just focus on every day trying to make one small victory compounding into eventually seeing the massive success you see today. And it doesn't happen overnight. I will tell you that, but when you do reach those goals, it's not even the destination that you're going to be proud of. It's going to be the journey. And when everyone says, you know, enjoy the journey, that's what I mean by it is the destination will be great because you'll be proud of it. But what you'll really be proud of is all the shit you had to endure to get to that journey, all the pain, all the hardship, all the doubt from other people, or even the doubt from yourself that you had to work through and said, Hey, I'm here today. And I was able to accomplish that goal even though I had setback after setback after setback, whether it is in my health, whether it is in my career, whether it is in my relationship, whether it is in my faith, whatever it might be. While you were going through your cancer treatment, were you able to have this mindset or is it, I mean, I can imagine it would be incredibly difficult to try and be positive and find positivity while you're going through it. You've obviously found a lot of positivity and, and things in, in hindsight, but what was your mindset like while you were actually in the midst of it? Yeah. Oh, it was a very victim mindset. I will say that, um, you know, first it was, so I'm, I'm a Christian. I don't push faith on anybody, but, um, if it's okay, I'd like to just share my part of that, just of how I felt. Of like, course. Of course. Okay, yeah. Well, so in the beginning I almost was like, I felt like God betrayed me almost, you know, because I felt like I was in such a good spot. I was so healthy. I was at a good point in my life. And I just, you know, I got a girlfriend, everything was awesome. And then it just felt like so many things got taken away from me. And it wasn't just like one setback. Oh, you go through chemotherapy, you're done with cancer. No, uh, you know, going through all of that stuff. And then I remember when I got out of, you know, my hospital, say I was 110 pounds. I remember looking in the mirror and being like, I'm a shell of myself. Um, I had body image issues. I had so many different limiting beliefs. And I just remember saying, you know, God, why did you do this to me? And I'm telling you, um, when I finally realized that there's a little saying, everything in life happens for you, not to you. Um, what it basically entails is, is you, you are going to, no matter what, everybody's going to go through a challenging moment in their life, many challenging moments in your life. It's not about the, you know, the challenging moments. It's not about the actual situation or the setback. It's about how you deal with it mentally. You can either say, why is this happening to me? Seeing, becoming the victim, having a why me mentality 
and ultimately letting it define you. Or you can say, listen, I know this is unfair, but every setback also has a setup for some type of lesson in my life. And what is the lesson that it's providing me? How is this happening for me? Even though it's unfair, what is something that I can grow through this? And it did not happen overnight. There was many ups and downs, ebbs and flows. But as I started to try to ingrain that mindset into my lifestyle, I could then say, okay, I went through all these challenging moments. What is the lesson that's going to be able, I'm going to be able to take to not just better myself, but more importantly, you want true happiness in life? I'd be able to serve other people. And eventually I was able to take all of those challenging moments and say, okay, yes, I'm bettering myself because I'm taking care of my health. I'm taking care of, you know, every aspect of my life. But now how can I give back and serve other people? And I'm telling you every time I hop on a podcast, every time that I'm able to post something on social media, or I built a Facebook group just about a year and a half ago, we have now, um, for all cancer survivors, patients, and caregivers, we now have over 6,000 members in the group. And whenever I'm able to post in there and I get a direct message from somebody saying, Matt, your post has helped change my life, or thank you for creating this group, that is where you could say, oh my gosh, if I hadn't gone through these challenging moments, I wouldn't be in this position to be able to serve and be at my full potential to give back and help other people. And I think that was God's way of saying, listen, Matt, I'm putting you through this because I have such a greater mission. And maybe for you, you have to hit rock bottom to have a new 180 or to have a new chapter that you wouldn't even be able to see in your life unless you were a, unless you went into that difficult, dark moment. And I know it's really hard to see when you're in that spot. But I promise you, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And when you're able to get to the other end, this is why I say enjoy the journey, not just the destination. You will be able to be proud of all the stuff you were able to overcome and use it to help others. This is the very challenging part of all of this is that it's one thing to hear these things from yourself, from myself, from other resources and other people who have gone through various hardships in life and say, you know, stick through the good times, find the positive, enjoy the journey, et cetera, et cetera, all the things. But it's very difficult to do that when you're in the moment. And some of us, you know, it's it's like a lesson that your parents tell you when you're six years old. Oh, you'll figure it out when you're older. You'll understand when you're older. And you never understand until, you know, one day that happens when you're older. And you're like, oh, that's what my parents were talking about, right? And it's like I had to go through it and make the mistake on my own to to figure it out. But I think that hearing these things and having the support group, it kind of it plants that seed in someone's head so that, God forbid, they do go through that hardship they can hear Matt in the back of it, in their head saying, you know, this is going to be okay. You know, have the positivity, all enjoy the journey, all the things versus never having heard that and they go through it. Then it's just, they've got to find that on their own and they very well may find that on their own, but they might not. What was it for you? If you can recall, was there a, a trigger, a moment of time, a, a, someone you heard speak or something that kind of led that to led you to all this belief? Yeah, great. Awesome question. And, um, you know, uh, just one backtrack moment before I get right into that was mm-hmm. um, I love that you said that sometimes people feel alone in this journey. And I think that having somebody you can relate to, I think that's why my group is it's really like a family because they have people that can relate. And it's really challenging when you go to, through certain specific moments in life that you feel like your family members, your loved ones, they want to be there, but they can't relate to it. And having those mm-hmm. people that you can relate to really does help through that emotional side of the journey. Um, but to, to answer your question, yes, there's actually a very specific podcast that I found. There's a man named Ed Milet. He's an entrepreneur, but also a very motivational person as well. And this was about two years after my recovery. And I was, I, I was at that point where I was like, okay, what's next? I'm super inspired, but I also felt lost in my life. I felt discouraged because I'm like, 
I know there's something bigger, but I have zero clue of where to go. So I run across this video and it's called broke to 400 million. And I'm like, okay, it just caught my eyes. I'm like, okay, how'd this dude go from zero to $400 million? This is the coolest part of the podcast. I listened to the entire podcast about an hour long and it had absolutely nothing to do with money. And every single thing to do with all of the struggles, the obstacles, the setbacks that he was able to face and then overcome to become the best version of himself. And that right there was like, whoa, okay, I'm super inspired, but I'm like, now, okay, I have, I have, God, give me this like idea. Use my story, which is what I want to tell everyone here. Use your story of your uniqueness. You all are unique in your own ways to go inspire others and figure out how you want to do it. And this is how I ended up doing it. I surrounded myself with the right people. I said, okay, does he have a business group or does he have a group that he's he's starting? Craziest thing, I swear to God. One month after I started looking into it, he created this group and it was his first time ever starting this group. It's called Arte. And I'm like, count me in, I'm in this thing. And that right there was, I was deathly afraid. Daniel, I was so afraid to share my story because I was like, what if people were going to make fun of me? Or what if, you know, they weren't as inspired as I thought they might be? But I said, you know what? I'm going to do it anyways. And, and you know, when you go into these big groups, the people are just like, what, you know, what do you do? Can you give me your story? And I was like, I don't really, I, I was a personal trainer and I still am, but I'm like, I'm in the health field, but I'm, I'm also inspired to do other things too. And I started sharing my story of cancer. And everyone was just kind of like, whoa, are you a motivational speaker? Are you going to do this? And I'm like, I don't know. And this is where the ideas came in. It's as I started sharing my story to other people, they gave me the ideas. It wasn't me who got the ideas. It was from other people who were inspired by my story. And they're like, maybe you should try this or maybe you should try that. And, and I would go all in on it and be like, okay, let me give this a shot. And that is where I got into speaking. That is where I got into more niche of my coaching and that is how I got inspired to really be um, who I am today. So I want to tell everybody out there, you know, um, find somebody that you look up to. Ed Milot was my guy. And then see if they have a community or something that you can join and then start sharing your story. And people will then gravitate and say, hey, give you ideas or just be inspired. And it'll bounce off of your, you know, um, off of what you have to maybe, you know, use it to other help others. I love that you're so humble that you didn't even realize almost the power of your own story and how impactful it would be to others. And I think part of that, we've all got our things that we've been through, some big, some small, but you know, everyone's 10 out of 10 is their 10 out of 10. But because it happened to you, it just seems like, well, this is just my life. It's not, it's not extraordinary. You don't think that what you're doing is extraordinary until someone tells you like, wow, that's incredible. That's amazing. That's inspiring. That's whatever, because it's just the thing that you did and it happened to you. And it's not like you were very happy about what happened, obviously. So yeah. it takes that, that external, uh, you know, validation, but the validation is not the right word. That external motive motivation, maybe to be like, Hey, this is really going to help a lot of people. You need to be sharing this. And then that can kind of spark that in your own, in your own mind. And I think everyone's got their thing that they can help people with and, and just give back to the world, whether it's big or small, like there's some way that we've all been through experiences or been through hardships or, or good times and good fortune and good decisions. And we need to share that because that's how we all grow. It's the only way that we all kind of like uplift each other. The, the raising tide raises all the ships, right? hundred percent, man. And it's, as much as somebody may relate to my story, somebody's going to relate to your story, Daniel, 10 times more than they would relate to mine. So don't ever under um, estimate how powerful your story is because everyone needs to hear somebody else's story to, um, you know, relate. And also I want to say this, if you're, you're definitely afraid, like I am, I'm going to tell you the most scariest part is the stories you actually play in your head of 
um, you know, the self doubt and the worry, it's at actually doing it because when you do it, it's almost like all this baggage that you've put on yourself is like taken off and you're like, wow, it wasn't actually that bad. I'm actually getting some positive feedback. Yeah, you'll get one or two negatives, but you know what? You know, that, that, that goes to show how insecure those people are, not anything to do with you. Just know that if you have good intentions in your heart and you want to truly serve others and that's how you think you're doing it, go for it. Don't ever let anyone tell you you're not worthy enough because I promise you are. And your story has its own uniqueness of inspiring somebody else in some way, shape or form. A very realistic way to explain that is is this because I went through my own you know things with before I started posting stuff publicly in the podcast and social media and whatever. But it's like when you make your first post, be it a tweet, be it a YouTube video, whatever it is, yeah. there's like four people who are going to see it. So it's not just you're not going to post it and like millions of people are going to see it. It's going to be you know your parents, your best friend, your your sister, and like you know whoever. That's who's going to see it. Those people are not going to yeah. come at you and be like well, you're a fucking loser. Like, like they're not going to say that stuff to you. They're obviously going to be happy for you and proud of you. So you're only going to get positive feedback up front. And I would even say this, if you even get negative feedback, that means you've done so well that strangers are finding your stuff initially that that's a huge sign. Like, you know, haters are my motivators, whatever you want to call it. But like, if you're doing well enough to actually get negative feedback when you first start sharing your story, then you are doing extremely well. And it, it might be hard to overcome that, but it's a, it, in reality, it's actually a really good sign. Oh my God. You said it perfectly. I don't have to say <laughs> any more about that because you are spot on, my friend. You are, yeah, you're not going to become, you know, this absolute, you know, viral famous person in one single post. Just remember, it takes time and consistency and then eventually the right people will hear it. And next thing you know, if the right, right person hears it, then maybe, you know, it will go viral and maybe you'll get some people. And just like you said, um, you know, don't ever that one or two people, it actually means that you're succeeding in life. That's what it is. So. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's talk about now the the actual physical rebuilding of your body. So you had lost was 70, 75 pounds, 65 pounds. It was a lot of weight. How did you actually go about building up your muscle? Like what was the what was the, the tangible process like or the physical process like of that? I'll give you exactly how I did it. So first two weeks out of the hospital, I talk about a victim mindset. I was, I had no more accountability because when you're in a hospital, you have nurses every single day looking at you. You have your surgeon coming in. You have a physical therapist. You are constantly being monitored. I get out of this hospital and it's not like it was rainbows and butterflies. Like I told you, I was 110 pounds, still learning to walk again. And I barely had any, you know, I had my parents and, and Lauren and stuff like that. But I mean, it was just like a battle. And I started having this victim mentality of I don't really want to get up out of bed. I don't want to do the things to heal me because I was so tired. I was so weak. I was so depleted when I would look in the mirror. And um, after about two weeks, I got rushed back to the emergency room because my standing heart rate was about 150 beats a minute. My blood pressure was like 180 over like close to almost like 90 to 100. My um, temperature was 104 degrees. I mean, I was I was literally like starting to, to die again. And it took a whole week where they had to bring my vitals back and everything. And I just remember that, you know, day or two later, I remember sitting down with Lauren and we really, it was a, one of the toughest conversations I ever had in my life. But we came to the conclusion that if Matt, if you don't start taking care of yourself, you probably will not be here next month. It wasn't just like, okay, Matt, like you don't take care of your body, you'll lose some weight or gain some weight. No, it's you don't take care of your body, you it's life or death. And 
for me, that's how I had to look at the rest of my life is, is anything I go into now, even though it's not life or death, I have that mentality because I actually lived it at one point. I actually lived the life or death mentality. Now I go into it and saying, if I don't do this, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm going to die, but I have that like urgency and I think it's helped me to, to really push myself. So what I did here's step by step process to learn to walk again. I had one lawn chair at one end of my driveway and I had another lawn chair about maybe 10 yards out and I had a cane and I would get my butt up off that chair. I'd have all my effort to get to the the other side of the chair. I'd sit down and I contemplate life for like a good two or three minutes and say, okay, I got to get my ass back up and get back to this chair. But guess what I did every single day? I moved that chair just a little bit further and a little bit further. And guess what? Soon enough, it was out of the driveway and starting to go into the sidewalk. And I kept moving it and moving it and moving it. And one day I was with my dad and I said, dad, don't even bring the lawn chair. I'm doing this on my own. I was scared because I knew that it was going to be a big challenge for me. But I also knew that I absolutely had to do this. So I went out and I said, dad, okay, here we go. We're going to move along. And as I did it, I came back. I made the progress. I made it to the other end. And I'm telling you, it was like a light switch in my head. It was like, now that I knew that I could do it, I felt like I could accomplish so much more in my life. I was like, oh my gosh, I just did one of the hardest things ever. And now I'm ready and fully prepared to be able to just keep going. And I think that's what I try to tell people is say, what is the task that is scaring you the most? I'm telling you to go do it today. Go do it today because if you can accomplish that today, you will have overwhelming confidence. You want to know what really builds confidence? It's keeping the promises you make to yourself. Meaning when you say you're going to do something, you don't let your outside circumstances or whatever little things throughout the day take away from what you have to accomplish. And it's, I'm not saying you have to do a million things. I'm saying one task a day. You have one task a day, get it done. And guess what that does? It compounded into daily wins. So once I was able to do that, I said, all right, dad, I'm ready. Let me get me into the, the gym. I literally went to the gym, like not like an actual gym. I went, we have a little home gym and I'm like, I'm ready. I would sit in my wheelchair. I'd grab five pound dumbbells and I'd start doing bicep curls. I wasn't even strong enough to go over my head to do a shoulder press yet. So I was doing um, dumbbell work. I was doing a little bit of band work with my legs and stuff like that. And every day I was just rebuilding and rebuilding. And I already knew the knowledge. I knew what I needed to do. And eventually I was able to start doing chest presses and start doing the basics. But it's almost like somebody like who's a toddler who just needs to completely be learning to do everything again. And um, as months went by, I went from eating, you know, because I had so many, I had five surgeries on my stomach. Um, I was able to eat from 700 calories to 900 calories. I was able to eat 900 calories to 11. That was a huge difference because that's your energy source. I was gaining my energy back. I was gaining my strength back. And within six months, I was, instead of 110 pounds, I was now 135, 140 pounds. I was getting confidence. I was looking in the mirror. I was starting to see some, you know, a little bit of muscle again. I was starting to just be proud of myself. And that momentum, is what ultimately carried me through towards healing myself. It took me, like I said, it took me two years almost to fully heal myself through the mental, emotional, physical aspect. So just so you know, whatever health journey you're on, you're trying to lose weight, you're trying to gain muscle, you're trying to just become an overall healthier person. It will take time. It may not take two years. It may take two years. But whatever I'm trying to say is be patient and know that it is a process but it is so worth it in the end. It is so worth it because I realized, like I was telling you before, once I healed myself, I realized that it's not just about me anymore. It's about serving other people. And that is why I'm able to do what I am today is because I was able to be selfish first in order to be selfless for others. 
right? Had you not gone through that and done the hard things, you, we wouldn't mm-hmm. be here having this conversation today. You wouldn't have gone on to do all the things that you've done since then, right? There was a there was a post I think on your Instagram from from a while ago, and you summed up like five lessons that you learned from your cancer journey, and one of them was win the day. And I think that is a perfect way to sum up everything that you just said. You're not going to go from you know the dumbbell bicep curling five pounds to you know doing a 300 pound bench press in one day. But if you can do five reps today, could you do six reps tomorrow? And what can you do today to make today a win? And and that can extrapolate across fitness and and health and nutrition and business and everything else. But what can you do today to, to win today? And if it's, and every day is not going to be a win. I'm sure there's going to be some losses, but try not to have two losses in a row. That would be, I think the best way in my opinion to like go about it. Of course, you know, the stuff is out of your control. There's going to be setbacks and whatever, but if you did something that makes today a loss, try to understand what that was and make it not happen again tomorrow. You got it. Yeah. Every loss also provides a lesson. Remember that every loss, every failure provides a lesson. We're all going to fail in life. We're all going to come short a little bit in circumstances. They all provide some type of valuable experience for us to, like you said, not do it again. I look at it this way. You, you screw up once, you know, that's a mistake. That is something that you can learn from. You screw up two, three, four times. That is on you now. That is something that you, it's, if it's the same mistake, that is something that you know that you need to take care of. And now, now it is no longer necessarily a lesson. It is something that you must start to learn to change into your life. And, um, the win the day, you know, um, concept came from a man named Andy Frisella. He's an, another entrepreneur, but also a very motivational guy. And, um, basically his whole concept is, is like you said, you win the day turns into weekly wins. You start winning the weeks turns into monthly wins. And then by a full year from now, people, people overestimate what they can accomplish in weeks months and even a year but they underestimate what they can accomplish in two to five to ten years meaning you think you're going to become this incredible you know um successful and in you know greek god looking person in six months yet it's actually two to five to ten years where you're going to get that so what i'm trying to say is you overestimate it but i promise you you will get there and the reason why most people don't get there is because they aren't willing to sacrifice the time to to um to actually do the work yeah, yeah, no, I I love that saying. I've heard that in, in multiple different ways. You underestimate short term and overestimate, or, or overestimate in the sh- yeah the, in the long term, underestimate the short term kind of thing. But like you can you can get through it. When you were starting to increase your calories and and eat up again, were you restricted in the amount that you were allowed or directed to eat by the doctors, or were you just not able to stomach it? Stomach it. So what had happened was, I'll give you a more detailed um, thing. What happened was my um, tumor was wrapped around what's called my inferior vena cava. Now an inferior vena cava, um, from my understanding, is basically a central vein that goes from the bottom of your upper body to your heart. They had to completely remove that vena cava. That is what caused so many complications. And in that process, when my body started to shut down, they had to, um, my body swelled up after the first initial surgery. It swelled up to uh, from about 145 pounds to no joke to about 200 pounds. And while I was in the hospital, they had to drain close to seven liters of fluid out of my stomach because of all the swelling that I had. So that took about an additional three surgeries. So I'm four surgeries in at this point. And then the last surgery they did, um, totally unexpected. I mean, they're all unexpected, but this one was completely unexpected. I was actually almost ready to get out of the hospital. And my stitches bursted open and part of my spleen and stuff was like 
sticking out. It was just, I don't want to get into detail, but what they ended up having to do was an open wound surgery on me, leaving a football sized mesh on my stomach. They had to take out all of my abdominals. They had to put a massive football sized mesh on me. And that's why I have this huge lump and scar that will never go away. That talk about another body image issue. I can never, you know, fully have the physique that I used to have, but that's okay. It's part of my journey and part of my story now. But what I'm trying to get at here is I had so many surgeries on there that my stomach just clearly, literally couldn't handle it. Um, I, I wasn't restricted after I got out of the hospital of what I could eat. They were saying, be careful, of like a ton of the hard, like steak and stuff like that, because your body takes longer to digest those kinds of food. So don't go like crazy on it. But it just took time for my body to heal and for me to eventually be able to get those calories. Wow. That is, that is a, very extreme. I, I knew that the story was extreme. I didn't know that that bit of it, but that is yeah, that is it, crazy. That is crazy. It, my skin actually took a full. So talk about why it took two years. My skin alone just took to heal over my stomach took an entire year. I literally like had a massive wound open that I had to put like bandage on every week, every two days. I had to change the bandage. Put it was a forty five minute process every two days change the bandage, put like this material on it, make sure that it's sanitized and clean. And I had to do that for an entire year until my skin could eventually grow over it. And um, yeah, man, it was a process. But you know what? Like I said, um, this is part of my journey now and it's something I can share to help others with. At the same time, very realistically speaking, it was it was do that process, go through that hard thing or risk infection and rehospitalization. So like the choice, although the process of it sucked and was cumbersome and annoying and painful and all the things, the alternative was worse. So sometimes, hopefully, you know, we don't have that much of an ultimatum for, for most people in their life, but like the alternative to not working out is joint pain, being overweight, all these things. So it doesn't, it's not that extreme and it's not that like life and death, as you said, but. I think one way to say it is it's almost in some ways a blessing that you have that reference point of near death's experience where most people it's so far outside of like the the realm of our experience that we don't perceive it as a realistic outcome to something that we do or don't do but you you it is realistic to you and we can extrapolate around that where it's like okay if I don't eat healthy today then you know, I might have a heart attack. Well, you know, I'm young and healthy, have no issues. If I have a Big Mac today, I'm not going to have a heart attack tomorrow. But if it, my experience were different, that may be a real situation. And if I have a Big Mac today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after and keep doing that, then eventually I'm going to have a heart attack. So we have to try almost, almost try and think about like, what are the long-term implications? And what if I made this ex decision extreme, what would happen? And I think that's a really important thought experiment for people to go through a difficult one, but but an important one. Yeah. And, and here's the one thing too. Um, we've all heard this from our kids. Um, practice makes perfect. And what I'm trying to say here is, uh, as I kept doing that, um, it, you know, after a few months, it was just routine and it wasn't hard for me anymore. Like that's why I try to tell people right. the first two months or three months of you working out, of course, it's going to be hard. You're going to be more sore than you usually are. You're going to, you know, it's going to be more challenging because you don't understand the exercises. It's a, you know, your heart rate's going to go up a little bit. It's going to give you maybe a little bit of anxiety because you're like, whoa, this is something I'm not experiencing. But as you continue to do it, more practice, your body gets used to it and it tolerates it in a healthy way. And uh, same thing with eating. When you eliminate certain items, so I always look at this. When I, you know, when, when I tell my clients to eliminate, you know, or to not eat as much of the chips, not eat as much of the candy, and substitute it with more fruits and more healthier options, 
after three or four months, they always come to me if they if I, and I can tell if they're dedicated or not. They say, I'm actually craving more of the fruit now. I'm actually craving more of the cottage cheese. I'm actually craving more of the yogurt instead of the, the stuff. Yeah, do I still want it sometimes? Of course. And you can have it in moderation, but like everything gets a little easier over time when you just put the work in. I'm telling you. So just remember the first three to four months is always the hardest, but you will get there. One of my favorite things that I look forward to with new clients is once they've been you know, eating healthy for a couple of weeks and they're kind of ready for uh, you know, their first cheat meal. And this obviously depends on how strict everyone's been and what their thing is. But a client who's been like super clean, they have their first cheat meal, go all out, burgers, fries, pizza, ice cream, do your thing, blow it all out of the water. Every single time the reaction afterwards is, wow, I feel like garbage. I've been eating healthy and I feel like shit. And I'm like, yep, that's how you used to feel all the time. You just didn't realize it, but you've been feeling so good. Now you put all that stuff in your body, you feel like garbage. Let's not make that happen again. Not saying to never have junk food again and never cheat again, but just understand that feeling. And so sometimes you've got to go to the opposite extreme just to understand what it was like. And think of how, how powerful it feels when you sit down at a restaurant and you know, maybe your friends, your family are eating cheeseburgers and all this. And you're like, I'm going to order a steak with a, a, a sweet potato and, and broccoli instead. And think of how good, like you said, how you used to feel that way and how good you feel now. And you're like, and you don't mean it in a cocky way, but you mean it. It is in a way of like, I am so proud of myself for staying true to my word and becoming a healthier person. I do it all the time. Even me and at this point now, I mean, I've been doing it for years. Yeah, of course, I'll have a cheeseburger every once in a while, pizza. But for the most part, when I'm eating healthy and stuff like that, I, I still am like, oh, you know what? Like, not many people are willing to make this sacrifice in their life. And I'm pretty proud of myself for that, you know, and, and you should be proud of yourself. So just think of the confidence boost you'll have too by doing that. Yeah, it's a good mental emotional exercise to feel like you have power over yourself to be like, nope, not going to have the junk. I'm going to have like the healthier option. But I think more tangibly for people. It's just the physical feeling. Like when I have junk food, of course, I still have it every now and then, but like my stomach hurts. I like, it just, it just don't feel good physically. And, and I don't like that feeling. And I don't know anyone who does like that feeling, but if that's what you're used to and that's your normal, then that's your normal. And so you've got to kind of break that to, to get out of it. Right. But Absolutely. easier said than done, but important again, to know these things and you've got to kind of go through it on your own. Unfortunately. Well, having a coach like us helps too. You know, like having somebody to help hold you accountable <laughs> does make a big difference. Definitely. We've all got, you know, someone to, or we should all, like we spoke about earlier, have some type of mentor or coach in, in fitness and business and all the things in life. And it just makes everything easier. You can figure out all of the things on your own, especially today's age where you can, you can Google, you can figure out any piece of knowledge on the internet if you're willing to look deep enough and spend enough time. But yeah. it would be a lot easier and faster if you just had someone kind of show you the ropes and show you how to do it, right? Exactly. What does your training and everything look like now? Like you're, you're recovered now and you're healthy. What is your current kind of status and training look like? Yeah, absolutely. I lift six days a week. I do cardio four to five days a week. Like I told you, I could barely even walk 10 meters five years ago. Now I walk um, anywhere from three to five miles, uh, three to four times a week. And it's incredible. And it's because I kept the promises I made to myself. Uh, here's my exact lifting uh, split right now, which for me... Um, I'm focusing a little bit more on legs. So I do legs twice a week. So I'll do uh, Monday is uh, chest and tricep. Um, actually, no, this week. So I just changed it a week ago. So I'm trying to remember it. Uh, so yeah, so Monday is shoulders and uh, tricep. Um, Tuesday is back and bicep. Wednesday is, is just legs. Um, Thursday is chest. 
Friday is arms because I just I love doing arms. So I'll do arms twice. And I also I arms is my weakest point. And then Saturday's legs again as well. And I will incorporate some type of either hit or I'll incorporate which I'll explain in a second. I'll incorporate some type of hit or I'll uh, do some type of incline or outside walking as well. Now a hit workout if people don't know is basically a high intensity interval training. It's basically anywhere from five to you can go as high as 30 minutes, but that's really a long. I would say five to 15 to 20 minutes of a quick burst where um, let's give an example, a row machine, say you're on a row machine and you go for a thousand meters, your first hundred meters, you'll just go nice and easy, keep the heart rate down. Then the second hundred meters, you're going to go all out, just give it everything you've got, bring the heart rate all the way up. And then the next hundred meters, you're going to give yourself a complete rest where you're just barely going and just getting that heart rate back down. You're going to repeat that until you hit a thousand meters. That's just an example. And what it's doing is it's actually helping you keep on a lot of the muscle while burning a lot of the fat as well, because it's really spiking up and elevating that heart rate. And it's helping uh, boost that metabolism even after you're done with the HIIT workout as well. So I'll either do that or I'll do some type of uh, cardio. I love walking. Um, running is still kind of a challenge, especially in my stomach. So it's something I don't put limitations on myself but it's something i'm working towards so um yeah that's my lifting split and also my cardio slash hit workouts that i do throughout the week i love that you qualified the the hit workouts by putting that short time limit on it the one thing that bugs me to no end and i have a huge bone to pick with the whole like you know the the, the classes and all this stuff and and this is just a fitness nerd in me it's like nobody in the world can do a 60 minute hit workout Hell no. you can do a 60 minute kind of like cardio ish workout but it's literally impossible to go all out with interval for 60 minutes unless your rest periods are like 10 minutes like it would just whatever it's impossible so five to like 30 minutes max the most I ever done was maybe 20 minutes and that is even pushing it. I'll do like 10 to 15 yeah. <laughs> minutes is like my sweet spot. And sometimes I'll even go only go five, but I'll just fucking go balls to the walls on the thing. So I agree yeah. with you. 60 minutes, yeah. you're not doing a hit workout. At that point, you're doing more of um, just a, an endurance kind of based workout. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. Like, it's fine. It's just like, let's just, let's just use the right words. That's, that's my, that's my big thing. Like the traders, whatever I get, it's a sales thing. Uh, let's just use the right words and figure out how to sell it a different way other than just like kind of, you know, tell these little white lies. <laughs> exactly. A hundred percent. What man. is it? What is it about running that, that is difficult on your stomach? Is it like uh, the, the actual like, impact? Anymore. So, you know, literally you don't have what, sorry. <laughs> I don't have abdominals anymore. Like literally they took them out. So like, I don't have any abdominals to hold it. So I have a mesh that's kind of holding everything right now. And anything when I'm running, you use a lot of your core and you know, cause think of it this way, the number, whenever you get a cramp, where do you get it? Usually, especially when you're running, you get it in your cores because you use it so much. And for me, I don't have that. So it's really challenging. So I do a lot of walking and I've learned to, I can do any exercise, which is crazy. But even though when it comes to lifting, I always tell my people, your core, you know, my clients, your core is vital in keeping your proper form and making sure that you're doing the exercise properly. But for me, I've, I've done it for so long that I've learned to still have the proper form, but like, you know, I have to do it in certain different ways. But um, yeah, that's why I can't run is because uh, I literally don't have a core anymore. And it actually, it legit hurts when I do it. So. So that's, that's wild, but can you, can you then do like deadlifts or squats or things that are pretty heavy? You, like that's okay. I don't go heavy on them. That's the key. So yeah, for me, okay. um, I don't really have learned over the year two for myself, especially, uh, 
I'm not in it for powerlifting and strength. You know, I mean, cool. Yeah, I was able to do 500 pound deadlifts and, you know, 350 pound squats, you know, before cancer and things like that. Those were awesome. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I sometimes miss those days, but I've learned now that doing a 135 pound squat and, you know, at most doing, uh, maybe 200 pounds for a deadlift, uh, is plenty for me because what I do is I'll do 10, 15 reps and I'll focus. Right. Trust me, I will focus so hard on form that I, I'm sore as heck that next day. It's it's a mind muscle connection that you should be worrying about and worrying about time under tension too. Sometimes, you know, I'm putting more time under tension by doing 10 or 15 reps than just going for three to five rep range. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not saying don't progress in your weight, but don't, don't ever sacrifice form for a weight because that is just going to cause injury. You're not even working the form or you're not even working the right muscle groups half the time. And I see this too much in young kids who are trying to prove their other young fellow, um, you know, high schoolers or college kids that they can, you know, Oh, I see you benching 185. I have to do it. And I'm like, dude, you're just going to hurt yourself, man. You doing one rep is proving nobody wrong when half the bars like this and you're trying to get the other one up. <laughs> and it's like, there's no, like, you leave your ego at the door. You've heard that. Leave it at the door. Focus on form and just do the exercise properly. So for me, man, like, yeah, I progressed my weight. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like, I love you. I don't do barbell much anymore when it comes to benching. I, I'm not a huge fan of it. I'm actually a much bigger fan of dumbbell work because I think it uh, isolates my chest a little more and I have more freedom. Um, and I also love using machines as well. So that's kind of what I do for for a lot of that stuff. Yeah, su- such a great testament again to like, there's so many ways to train and so dependent on one's goals. There's no one specific way that needs to be trained aside from a sport. If someone, if you were trying to compete in powerlifting and you couldn't one rep max a squat, well, well then you can't powerlift because that's, yeah. that's what it is. But if you're just trying to be healthy and you know be able to live your life and all this stuff, there is absolutely no need to one rep max your squat. Personally, I like lifting heavy and going into those and testing those things, but for no reason, just because I just enjoy doing it. I don't do it maybe with one client. I'm thinking like that would go there, but like, it's not the only way to train. Everyone does, does their thing. And you know, it's one thing if you like it, it's another thing if you, if you're unable to do it or, or don't like it or, you know, there's stuff that I don't like that I just don't do not because it's bad, just because I don't like doing that. So I just don't do it <laughs> because there's so many ways to, to skin the cat and, and to train. So. 100% man you have to find out what you love to do don't get me wrong if I could still do it I wouldn't mind like I I really did enjoy when I was doing my like five by fives and things like that that was exciting that's when I was doing like five oh, close to 500 pounds in deadlifts I was doing five by fives and my strength was going through the roof and you can build a ton of muscle that way too um just for myself I've learned that um you know if you're you know um to keep myself healthy, I need to be in more of a hypertrophy state, which means around anywhere from eight to 12 rep range. And sometimes I'll go a little bit higher to that into about 15. And I'm not afraid to do it. I, what I'd like to do more now is I like to do like drop sets. And I like to do um, negatives and things like that, like where I'm really putting more time under tension. And basically a drop set means that you have X amount of weight that you normally lift and you cut it down by 30% after so that you can add an additional 10 to 12 reps to it. And, and, and then a negative basically means that you're giving yourself um, on you say you're doing a chest press, you do a regular chest press and on the way down, you're giving yourself a close to a three to five second, uh, count before you, you know, you start the next rep. So just different ways of doing your exercise. Exactly. Like you said, one thing, if any, that the average person can learn from the bodybuilding world is that there have been 
top level bodybuilders, Olympia winners and, and runners up and whatever, who have wildly different training styles, guys who train very low reps, super heavyweight guys who train with super, he- super lightweights, but like do a million reps and, and everything in between drop sets, negatives, uh, cluster sets, whatever giants, all the things. And they all get huge. So you don't have to get that big, but like there are so many ways to do it. And the underlying mechanism is somewhat the same. There's just different ways to attack it. So I think the the take home message from that is like, find the one that you like to do and that you enjoy and then, and then do that and maybe experiment with the others for the sake of novelty and whatever, but find the one that you like and just roll with that. Absolutely. And the number one thing of why they're able to get to that physique is because they are so dedicated with their nutrition. It's unfreaking believable. Yeah. That's going to get them 75% of the way there. Just like you said, though, like you look at Ronnie Coleman or something like that, that dude was lifting heavy ass weight. That dude was going <laughs> real heavy. And then there's other guys, like you said, I maybe none that can come to the exact top of my head. They, they were the total opposite that were sticking to the age of 12. But yeah, they all had generally the same nutrition plan as well, which is putting in a ton of calories and making sure that they're, you know, getting the Exactly. The hard work and the consistency and people point to, oh, but the drugs and like, okay, yes, but, but there's so much other stuff that goes into it. Like that's part of the sport and that's fine. But like, if you took the drugs that they took and worked out your workout, it wouldn't get that way. So don't it's like for people who get hard on that, like let that go. It's not, it's not the same thing. Work ethic. You don't have anything close to their work ethic. So don't even try it. I hate when people exactly. don't even lift. So I just, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you, man. Well, Matt, Thanks so much for being here, man. It's been a pleasure to, to speak with you and to hear your message and to just, you know, help spread all this stuff out into the world. Where can people find you, your contact info website and all that stuff? Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, best place to go is just my website. It's Matt Odie, M-A-T-T-O-D-E speaks.com. It has my Facebook on there. It has my Instagram. It has my TikTok. It has my YouTube. Um, you know, basically has all my social media content. If you're looking for a speaker, you can go on there. If you're looking for a coach, um, go onto my Instagram or my Facebook, uh, you know, happy to just chat and, and just see how I can best help you. If not, um, just in general, uh, if you want to just check me out and, you know, check out my posts that I try to do at least weekly, um, you know, you can go on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, things like that. Yeah. Awesome. And I'm going to throw that in the show notes as well. MattOdiSpeaks.com. Matt, is there any other message that you want to leave the people with here in closing? Yeah, I always, I, I really like this acronym. Um, it's hope, uh, and it's help one person every day. It's by name, a uh, guy named Jim Quick. I learned it from, but, uh, here's the power of helping one person every day. And I think first of all, it brings true happiness by giving back, but by you giving knowledge to one person isn't just actually giving knowledge to one person. Think of, the information you provide them and then by them taking that and spreading it to other people, by the time you've helped five people, you probably actually helped 50. By the time you've helped 10 people, you probably actually helped 100 people because you are giving knowledge and they're able to, it's a snowball effect. They're able to take all of that knowledge, give it to them and those people are able to, able to do it as well and take that knowledge and, and help others too. So hope, help one person every day. Don't ever underestimate the power of it. Not only will it help many people, but it'll bring more joy and happiness into your life as well. Beautiful, man. Beautiful message. Thank you so much for, for being here today. I very much appreciate you. Everyone listening, check out mattodiespeaks.com. It will be, the link it will be in the show notes of this episode. Be sure to share this episode with a friend. And th- this is a powerful one that you'll probably want to listen back to. So please don't be shy to, to share this <laughs> share this episode and uh, leave a rating review. All that stuff helps all this stuff get out there. Um, Matt, what's your, what's your social media handle? 
Yeah. So Instagram is M-A-T-T-Y. So Maddie underscore Odie. And then um, Facebook, um, YouTube and TikTok. Uh, it's just Matt Odie. Same with LinkedIn too. So if you're looking for me on LinkedIn, it's just Matt Odie. Perfect. So follow Matt on all the places as well at Daniel Yoris on Instagram as well. Like, share, subscribe to the podcast, all those good things. Go outside, be a good person. We'll chat next time.